Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 226, recorded at Big Dog Studios. Hi everyone, it's Patrick with Real Herbalism Radio and The Practical Herbalist. Uh, one of our new sponsors is Sacred Blossom Farm. They do an incredible job of growing their own herbs right on their farm and they blend them together into these amazing uh, tea blends. One of the ones that we're going to focus on today uh, is Tiger. Tiger contains adaptogenic herbs like Tulsi and ginseng. And the tiger supports an energy that is grounded and focused. I think it's a little bit better than your morning coffee. Um, If you're interested in getting some blended tea shipped right to your door, sacredblossomfarm.com. And if you do so and you go and you you check out, make sure to use a coupon code, REALHERB15. And that's all caps, no spaces. Again, that's sacredblossomfarm.com. And just so you know, if you go there and you purchase um, a tea blend, not only do you get the discount, but the Practical Herbalist and Real Herbalism Radio gets a little bit of that as well. It helps us, um, it supports us in doing what we're doing. So again, sacredblossomfarm.com. Making a difference in the world is one of the dreams so many of us set out into the world to do. As herbalists, we often follow a sordid and sometimes colorful path to manifest that dream. Today we're talking with Tony DiMaggio, owner and operator of Sacred Blossom Polycultural Herb Farm, about wandering the world and rooting into rooting into making a real difference. Now, you're your host. I'm Candace Hunter. I'm Patrick Hunter. Welcome, welcome to, Real to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Radio. Welcome, Tony. I am so glad to have you with us today. I'm thrilled to be talking with you guys. Um, I just, I have been so wowed by what I've seen of your teas and how vibrant the colors are. I have to admit, there's a part of me, the design part of me, having been in the the design industry is wondering, did you Photoshop those? Or are they really that brilliant? That's an excellent question. I don't know. I kind of pass that off to someone else. Pictures. <laughs> Although you can go down there and uh, see the herbs and they look like that in person. That's what, um, yeah, that's what I'm like. I think they probably weren't Photoshop, maybe uh, contrast adjusted, but no, that's, you know, what I got into this for my background is in vegetables is what I started out in. And I sought out to find, like, how can I make a livelihood in small-scale sustainable ag? And I looked around at dozens of specialty crops. I traveled around, visited so many farms, and you look, like, where is there a hole? Like, what aren't people doing really well? And there's plenty of really micro-scale herb farms out there that are producing super quality. And then there's big herb farms, industrial scale herb farms that are producing 99.9% of what's out there. Yeah. And um, the difference in quality is immense. Um, So that's something I thought, well, this is what I can do. And that's why the herbs have such color and why I package my products in clear packaging so that people can see what they're getting. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. I mean, as herbalists, we all have, you know, we've all encountered times where we get that, you know, lemon balm or lemongrass or whichever one, and it's a lot more yellow than you'd like. And it's, you know, the there's that the powder at the bottom of the bag because it hasn't been handled with care. And it's disappointing. And the medicine from those from that doesn't work nearly as well as when someone's taken really taken the type of care that you take. Right. There's a bunch of factors about it. First of all, how old are the plants when you buy them commercially? Right. You know, maybe they were produced in Bulgaria in three years ago. 
were sitting in a warehouse there for because nobody wants to throw out their old stuff, right? Right. They want to sell everything. So maybe it's sitting in a warehouse in Bulgaria for two years before it even comes to this country. Right. And people don't know. There's there's just no transparency at all. Um and working backwards, second of all, uh, how things are processed. Um, when things are generally run through hammer mills on a mass scale and grind everything up, creating all this surface area and things oxidize way faster and break down faster. Um, lots of times things are heated uh, when they're dried at way high temperatures, which knocks out the medicinal compounds, depending on what it is. Yeah. And then third, and what I'm most interested in is producing, growing herbs of a higher quality. And I mean, I appreciate that um, I'm just doing, I'm small scale, you know, I'm doing, well, I'm, I'm really big for the small scale people. You know, I'm doing a 2,200 pounds a year, somewhere in that ballpark of dried herbs, um, which is nothing. A lot of people produce more any one herb than that. But um, yeah, it yeah, allows, there are, I, yeah. yeah, there are mint farms here that's all they do is mint. Yeah. Yeah. And it's huge. It's huge. Huge. Yeah. So anyway, I grow everything in polycultures. Medicinal herbs taken from the wild are are higher quality. They're more potent. So that's what I mimic in my fields. Um, The herbs in the wild, they struggle more. They grow more slowly. They're not pumped full of fertilizer. So they have to pull the nutrients out of the soil more slowly. And the cells, just like trees on a tree farm, you know, you give them ideal conditions, you'll have mature trees in 20 years. Oh, yeah. Um, but the really strong two-by-fours are 100-year-old trees and 150-year-old trees because yeah. the cells are much smaller and there's much less water in the cells. And it's the same thing with herbs. So I actually want my plants to struggle more and to grow more slowly. And then I grow everything in polycultures. Um, something like 50 to 80% of a plant's energy goes to feeding the soil. People think about the dirt, about soil coming from plants growing, dying, and decomposing. That's just a small fraction of it. Every bit of sunlight that hits the plant, um, something like 50 to 80% of that energy gets injected into the soil as carbohydrates to feed the microbiology in the soil. And that's where the soil is really coming from, is from the plants pumping carbon from the air into the soil to feed the soil biology to feed the plants. And if you have a monoculture above ground, like you have to have on any industrial scale farm, you're going to have a lack of biodiversity below ground. It's like if a person eats only lettuce or only potatoes, they're not going to have that wide variety of diet as if the soil has a bunch of different plants living above ground. So that's really what makes my farm so unique is the, um, the polyculture growing principles and then just a step of care every, every step of the way. You know, I love that you were talking about how the carbon sequestering, essentially, how that creates better soil. Because that's something that we've, Patrick and I have talked a little bit about. We read uh, Kiss the Ground um, a year ago. I can't remember. We read it a while ago. And since then, we've, we've been talking about, you know, why why aren't we doing a better job of that? And why is it that, you know, like here in Oregon, we have these large farms and some of them are organic and they're, you know, but they're monoculturing and in a huge scale and they still have to add a bunch of stuff to the soil. And I think you just hit on the nail on the head there. The It's it's a combination of polyculture and carbon sequestering that makes better soil. Which, exactly. Yeah. 
you know, here as well as there, most everywhere, the most productive ecosystems aren't the cornfields. They're not the herb farms. The most productive ecosystems are the natural settings. Yeah. You know, and it's because everything works together in harmony to produce significantly more biomass without the fertilizer. Right. It doesn't matter how much fertilizer you put in your corn. It's still not as productive as the woods are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes so much sense. It really does. So So it's it's kind of like growing in the the way that God intended. Right. Yeah. You know, it's natural, the natural system. Yeah. And I've got to, I've got to ask you, so you, you got to this point, which is honestly really profound understanding of how, how to help mother nature create the best medicine possible. Did you grow up with that? Did you go to college for this? Was this your, like, I'm six years old and I know I'm going to be a polycultural carbon sequestering farmer growing amazing plants to create these beautiful teas. Is that where you started off? I got to back you up a little bit in that you said, I know what I'm talking about. And I really want to uh, (laughs) dispel that myth. What I just say lots of times is, hey, give me another 30 or 40 or 50 years, then I'll know what I'm doing. Um, And this ties in perfectly with, uh, I had never hardly been on a farm in my life until I was 21. And I had plans to go do one thing and I went up to a vegetable farm for the day with my sister through her business she had. And the head guy there was like, Hey, uh, you looking for a summer job by chance? I was a matter of fact, I am. And uh, that man had been farming literally his whole life. Um, his name was Paul Lott and he was one of the top berry experts in this country. And you, he kind of instilled in me. I learned more from him than from everyone else in my life combined. Uh, except maybe my immediate family. Um, and he was 70 or maybe a bit older when I met him. And I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And over the six years I worked with him, each year I'd kind of be a little bit more in charge and he'd be a little bit more older. So he'd be staying at home more and kind of uh, letting me take the reins more and more. And you look at my phone logs from those days, I might call him 15 times in a day. Hey, what about this? Hey, what about that? Um, And it was really like the most invaluable resource. And what I, what I really came to realize there is that this is like a, I'd had a really wide variety of odd jobs um, before getting into this and after getting into this. And after you kind of know what you're doing, it gets kind of boring, you know, the same routine, the same, A happens, so you do B. Well, it's not like that with farming. Like, you can do this your whole life and still just scratch the surface. Paul, who knew more about uh, growing plants than most anyone who's ever lived, he'd say, I might be in second or third grade, relatively (laughs) speaking, compared to what there is to know. Um, And if Paul was in second or third grade, I'm a first-generation farmer, which puts someone at a huge disadvantage. Um, but I feel like I kind of skipped half a generation or better by getting to work so much with Paul. Yeah. yeah so, um, it, it I sounds like you really more. listen. It sounds like you really listen to your intuition and to your teachers mm-hmm. and that includes and mother nature. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had a lot of really great mentors, um, out in Oregon, not far from you, there's, uh, in 
near Roseburg, there's uh, Veriditas Wild Gardens. And um, when I was working on Oshala Farm, a very large farm in Applegate Valley, and the year before that, I would volunteer and work with them at uh, Veriditas Wild Gardens. And the owner there, Jeff and Liz Bedoni, Jeff holds the title of being the single smartest person I've ever met. <laughs> um, and he really put me onto this polyculture approach. Um, you know, like I say, I've come up with, oh, basically nothing myself. You know, pretty much everything I know is a culmination of what other people have taught me. Which, while I'm not huge on having volunteers from a productivity point of view, it doesn't like really make the operation run any faster. Um, I'm absolutely love to have volunteers because everything I know was taught to me. It's an amalgamation of things that I've learned from from smart people. So if I can share the little bit I've learned with others, it's just kind of kicking it down the line, sharing. So anyway, at Natur Farms, you asked me, you know, do I always want to be a farmer? No, um, but there. I realized my very single favorite thing to do in the whole world is walk around and look at the plants grow and see how they're coming along. Nice. So I thought, well, let's just do that for a career. There you go. Right. Yeah. And that was vegetables. We had a uh, 23 acres in production with vegetables and small fruits. Um, and on that farm, we had five tractors, seven hoop houses, two walk-in fridges, just everything you could need to run a really great veggie operation. Soil that had been improved for 25 years, really great soil. And we still didn't make any money. Um, and, you know, that's fine if you've got money, but when you're starting literally with zero, um, yeah. Yeah, it can. wasn't, I wasn't going to get to the place where I would ever even own my own farm or own my own tractor. So I had to figure out um, how I could do small-scale sustainable ag and still make a livelihood. So after working at Natura on the vegetables for six years um, and running that place for a few years, I traveled around for over a year and visited dozens and dozens of different specialty crop farms. Um, when I was coming through the Midwest, everyone said, oh, you got to do hops, you got to do hops. Um, when I was going through California, everyone was saying wine grapes. When I was going through Oregon, everyone said do cannabis. And all those things turned me off, not because I don't drink wine or beer or haven't smoked marijuana. It's just that's not what I want my legacy to be. Yeah. Um, and then you, I looked at uh, tropical fruits. I grew up in Costa Rica, so I spent some time down in Costa Rica studying uh, papaya and the export cantaloupe market and things like that, which could have been okay. Um, but it doesn't really work on the scale and the level of local and uh, – you know, that I really want to do, even though, Hey, I'm in Minnesota, I'm in Wisconsin here and I don't, I eat only local except this time of year, I'll eat tropical fruits and stuff. Cause yeah. you know, you kind of gotta, <laughs> you kind of got, you know, I, I pre preserve a lot of food, but yeah. it's okay to have, you know, two pineapples a year or two. Yeah. Um, you need so something anyway, to probably, sparkle up the winter. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So I looked at all these different specialty crops and with really a focus of what can I do farming for health? Um, what's really good for people? And there's basically nothing better for people than herbs. Um, berries is what my mentor did was his specialty. And that's another one of the very most nutrient dense things you can eat. Um, but herbs and then every successful farmer I met on my journey, I'd ask him, if you were me, what would you do? 
And that had a bigger impact on my life than anything else. I got a lot of really great answers. Um, anything you can sell in small quantities, um, absolutely cannot do a commodity. Um, and, you know, if you have a million dollars, you can get all the equipment you need and grow commodities. Mm-hmm. But starting with zero, like you just can't do commodities. Yeah. Um, value added product is really critical. Um, you know, it keeps me busy with work in the winter. Mm-hmm. And um, really, if I were selling all the herbs I grow, the 2,200 pounds at commodity prices, I wouldn't hardly cover my electric bill. Yeah. Um, so another one of the answers I got that was very tongue in cheek, but so true is any grow anything the government will give you money for. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so I've had some success getting a couple of grants and that's really made a, that's now I'm starting to turn the corner and be profitable, but starting out, that's kind of what kept me in the black was uh, the grant money. I got. Yeah. Starting out as a farmer, any type of farming is, it's not an easy life. It's tough. No. It's tough. Yeah. It's, you know, it has its pros and it has its cons. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, I'm a very unconventional sort of guy and my, uh, the things that are important to me all fit into this lifestyle beautifully. Nice. So what, what is important to you? What are the, the key elements there? You know, this coronavirus is uh, just sparking up now. It's a huge deal now. Yeah. And it's made me think about this. And two of the most important things for me is I don't want to live in fear and I don't want to live in anxiety. That's powerful. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I would rather die or put myself at risk of death than live in a state of fear. Um, so how does farming keep you out of that? Cause I mean, I, I grew up in, I grew up in the Midwest. You keep going. Oh, okay. I grew up in the Midwest, um, during the eighties and nineties, there was a lot of farming crises. Uh, we watched a lot of smaller farmers go out of business and large farms, buy them up and eat them up and turn those smaller areas, the family farms into giant monocultures. There was a lot it's of fear. Happening. There was a lot of fear amongst, you know, the farming community. So tell me about how it's not fearful. How, how does farming <laughs> take you out of that? <laughs> I understand that. Um, so a little bit about my background. I lived out of a backpack for uh, years. Um, you know, every few months putting everything into a backpack and moving on. I went to Norway, the most expensive country in the world, with $300 in my pocket. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, you know, and I realized, like, when you run out of money, the world doesn't suddenly come to an end. Right. <laughs> um, and it's different also. I have a family behind me that if, you know, things got really bad, like, I can I can get help. And I don't have or didn't have dependents. You know, so it, it of course, makes things very different. Um, yeah. But how to not live in fear. So my number one business goal every year I've been here is don't go out of business. (laughs) Um, If you don't spend a lot of money, it's pretty easy. Yeah. Um, So I have an extremely wonderful uh, tenants, excuse me, landlords at the farm I'm at. I have a very friendly lease agreement. Um, It helps, you know, everyone's biggest cost is where they live. And if you have a farm, then it's really your biggest cost. Um, So I've got that at uh, a super friendly price. 
Um, I keep my transportation costs really low, especially because I'm not going to work. Um, basically, I keep my costs low. Last year, I had a full-time guy for four months. Um, I didn't really want a full-time guy. It wasn't necessarily the thing that made the most sense for my business, but uh, he was a volunteer the year before. And I knew he was a great guy, and I knew he was really sincere about wanting to pursue this as a career. Nice. So we, you know, we made the work available for him. Um, but besides that, I keep my costs just as low as possible. And that means I don't have to make a ton of money. And if everything doesn't go right, it's okay. You have a little buffer then. Yeah. Um, so how to not live in fear as a farmer. Oof. <laughs> I mean, anything could happen at any moment that would, uh, that would change everything. But I'm also extremely flexible. Um, you know, if this isn't going, I can do the other. I can, I can adjust and, you know, really deep down inside I have a sincere belief that no matter what happens, everything's going to be all right. I love that. I love that idea, especially in light of the co the coronavirus and, and the mm -hmm. fears that we've all, it's, it's forced a lot of people to have to take time to step away from the busyness of life, go inward and start clearing out some of the, the stuff that's created fear for them. And, you know, thinking about flexibility and all of that, it, what you're talking about is it's like stepping out of the old paradigm in a big way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, mo a lot of my neighbors here are Amish. Um, mm -hmm. One reason I'm super glad to live in the area I live is it's one of the highest concentrations of small scale organic growers anywhere. Nice. Um, they just happen to all have like big wide brim hats and beards. Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we share resources. My farm's actually the phone booth for the a lot of the guys in the neighborhood. And you know, every day there's there's people over here. Um, and I've actually got Amish guys helping me grow different things and uh, working with me on a whole lot of different projects. But anyway, so yeah, with the virus and people staying at home more you know, maybe they'll realize like the Amish guys have that the most important things yeah. are in the house. Yeah. You know, they're close to home. And that's, that's why the Amish people don't have cars is because they know like all the really important things in life are, are buggy ride away or yeah. less. They're right here. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting thought. Yeah. I'd like that. I mean, that's something that I've tried to live. It's it's challenging um, living in the city, doing the things that we've done. And with the economy, the way it's changed through the years, it's been hard to keep our core family as the center of our life and try to, you know, do that. Uh, but it's also, I think, made us as a family stronger. And I expect that's what you found, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I look at so much and try to measure the world and my life against is how are things for all of human history up until, say, 1820? You know, or up until yeah. 1750. Um, and even you know, every decade, there's been more change than in, like, all of human history before that, basically, right. or more yeah. or less. Um, so anyway, I try to live a little bit more by historical values rather than the uh, kind of how things have been going, whatever, this millennium so far. Well, you know, you talked about you 
went into farming and doing what you're doing in part to really live your values. And I know one of those is all about finding health, creating health, being in the place of health. And I kind of think that humans are evolved, designed, however you want to language it. We are built to live more with the historical values than the values that we've adopted over the last century. We've been around Absolutely. so long. It takes so long to change. Absolutely. That ties in with something I say a lot, that of the last 500 generations of my family, I'd be willing to bet 490 were small-scale farmers. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> the last three weren't. You know, everyone within living memory wasn't, but probably just about everyone before that was. Right. And if you talk about, like, what we are evolved for, what we are designed for, it's kind of this... Uh, this lifestyle I'm trying to live here. Yeah. That's powerful. That's really powerful. What? <laughs> it's the end of the day. I'm, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> so. You need a cup of tea then. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that tiger tea would probably be a good blend, right? Mm -hmm. It is, yeah. I imagine that especially going into the recovery stages after, you know, many people have faced COVID, even if it wasn't they didn't get it or their own family or even their friends didn't get it, the experience of going through this pandemic, we're all going to need recovery time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a pretty cool cucumber and my girlfriend's a pretty cool cucumber and my landlord's as cool as it gets. And we're all kind of stressed out or at least have had our times. And like, I can only imagine the people that are normally set, you know, a few yeah. ratchets higher, how they're, how they're coping. And yeah, herbs like Tulsi and ashwagandha and these things I think can really help people through these times. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so very much with being, for being with us today. How can people get a hold of you? Um, I've got my website's really great. I have farm tour videos on there. I have a 10 minute version that's pretty basic. It just kind of for it, it's good for people that don't know much about planting. And then I have an hour and whatever it is, hour long version, hour and 15 minute version that really goes into depth about how I grow a lot of these different plants. It talks about the philosophy of my polyculture farming. Um, and for people that are very interested in herbs, totally check it out. I really put a lot of effort into those videos to share with what I'm doing with people. And, um, and then you can find my teas and everything on the website as well and learn as much as you like. Yeah, I did actually go to the website and did a little bit of research. And your videos are great. Uh, yeah. I really Thank liked you. watching what you're doing and, and seeing what was going on. It, it, it made me want to, to buy which is you know, obviously okay. you know, the point, right? Because you want people to, to get your product and, and, right. and get healthy. Right. But we yep. were like, okay, which ones of these places could we go? <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing, nothing in your area. Right. Uh, I'm so small scale. I've had really great success in the stores here locally. Um, now I've got more people, more stores coming to me. Um, and but my scale isn't growing at that speed, so I'm I'm not even pushing it out there. Not going into yeah. more distribution. Um, kind of online's growing real quickly. So just you know, I, I really I'm not going to sacrifice. 
I, I don't need to make, like I said before, I'm not yeah. spending a lot of money, so I don't need to make a ton of money. And my production is limited and, um, you know, just sticking with doing the absolute highest quality herbs that I can. And I'm not trying to have it for sale all over the country, but of course people can get it online. Yeah. So I know we were going to close off, but I do have one question. How did you get into the, your first store? How did it, what, what was the big break? Um, I was, uh, the very first store was, uh, they came to me. I didn't even have my stuff ready to go. Oh, wow. And, um, like, yeah, well, we'll throw some in a package for you. But, um, the first big store I got into, um, uh, the wedge co-op in Minneapolis, oh, one yeah. of the most important co-op. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's a, a known, I guess one. you guys are from here, but, yeah. um, it's a kind of renowned store. Um, the buyer for my category is just like super cool and totally got it. And it's like, yeah, our people are going to love it. And then I just made sure it worked really well there, did all the demos and did all the support to make it work really well there. And then I could go to all the rest of the stores and be like, Hey, this is our sales in this flagship store. Right. And that made all the other sales so much easier. Yeah. Once you secure one, it's easier to sell the idea to someone else because, Oh, they risked it. They did it already. Well, we got to do it too. Yeah. Excellent. Right. Well, that was um, kind of what I want to know. <laughs> oh. So I guess, how can people get a hold of you? So you, you said that. your website, but yep. did you say the name? Yeah, sacredblossomfarm.com. Yep. And there will be the links will be in the show notes. In the show notes. Well, great, Tony. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Well, thank you guys. And I wish I would have sent you some tea before we got this started, but I'll make sure to send you some tomorrow. Oh, I look forward to it. I tell you yeah. what. All right. right. With that, put put a nerve nerve on on it. it. (laughs) The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication, or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.